All right, well, welcome to our class this morning. Um, I am going to try to be explicit without being vulgar uh, in this class, so it's kind of a little tightrope this, on this particular topic, but I think we'll be okay. I'm very aware that I'm right in the county next to one where there were 10 people that were picked up and basically arrested and are being arraigned on charges of kidnapping um, young people for sexual purposes. You've probably heard that on the news. Um, what started on the screen in terms of pornography um, has come off the screen. And we have a pandemic going on, a sexual pandemic, not only online, but also in real life, as we have a very sexualized society. This, uh, what has come off a line has uh, infiltrated marriages, broken up homes, uh, caused people to lose their jobs, uh, and various other, uh, and, and had legal action because much of what can be seen, or some of what can be seen on the internets and uh, through our various digital media, these things, um, uh, some of them are very illegal. And so people are being uh, arrested and doing some pretty serious time in prison for some of the things that are happening. I tell you what, we can go to heaven without a computer. We can go to heaven without our iPads and all of our digital devices. We don't have to have those to go to heaven. But I tell you what, if we misuse them, we can sure go to hell. And what we have to be careful of in our life as Christians is that we don't allow our digital devices to become a, hindering, a hindrance to us or an idol in our life as a fellow, as a child of God. There are some good things about, uh, about the digital, and I've got a whole lesson on that that we'll save for a different time. But this particular lesson has to do with the pornography pa pandemic. Uh, back in time, people used to go to convenience stores or they would, uh, in locker rooms at school or various places, they would they would get the girly magazines, and, uh, and, and that, that was in our, our culture. Uh, people would go to little flicks or to, uh, to side shows, peep shows, and that sort of thing. But with the uh, digital revolution uh, back in the 80s and also the, uh, the pay TVs, uh, what we saw was just a, a burst of pornography uh, at different levels. And there was a study done by the, by the uh, Barna uh, study group. That's a, pretty, that's a very conservative, almost a Billy Graham type group over in North Carolina. And that study was done of conservative uh, Christians, as they called them. And that would be representative from various, various groups. And of those, what they identified was uh, self, through self-report 63% of the men that were filling out that report filled out or admitted that they watched pornography, these are churched people, that they watched pornography at least once a week. At least once a week. Many more. But the interesting thing also on that was that while that represented the churched men, the churched women represented themselves and reported themselves as uh, being in pornography, 43% of, of those women who filled out the report reported at least once a week. Now the difference in the men and the women is important because the men tend to go to the picture sites uh, that with the trailers and the movies and the pictures and that kind of thing. But the women preferred, uh, generally, preferred to have the relationship sites, going out and uh, getting in uh, conversation through blogs or various other uh, interactive kinds of stuff in terms of relationship. And that is exactly how men and women tend to socialize. Men are attracted by visual stimulus, generally, uh, as a rule, and women are attracted by relationship. And so, uh, so what we see is that that is the lure. In terms of the most frequent 
word search on the internet, the word is sex. It is used, the internet is used more times, the digital devices used more times or as, about half, uh, as many times for sexual purpose as it is for legitimate purpose. So what we have is a dangerous tool. That tool can be used for good purposes. It can take us to the world where we have a wealth of information, but it also brings the world to us. And as Christians, we need to, need to uh, be well aware that impulses, a moment's impulse can take us to places we ought not to be. Now before I really get into this lesson deep today, I want to say a word about not just the internet, but I want to say a word about other digital devices and in terms of sexuality. And we have people that are being allured, catfished, uh, they're being, being pulled in. Uh, usually it'll be uh, by someone we get, that we friend uh, on Facebook or one of the other social uh, areas. And someone uh, is friended and uh, looks like, well, here's somebody that I need to add to my list. So we click and we friend someone that we don't really know. And then here's how it goes. Here's the game. The game is now, uh, now I've friended someone. That person waves back at me. I wave back. And then uh, I get this little note. Um, well, uh, thanks for friending me. Um, you know, my name is so-and-so. I am a whatever. Uh, their job is, and uh, you know, how about you? And so a little conversation gets going. It doesn't take long for that conversation to get to, well, what are the kinds of things you like? I like, and they'll talk about their hobbies and uh, so forth, and I like sex, lots of sex. Okay? So the guy is out here, and he looks at that, and, and the question usually is, do you like sex too? And if that if that hooks you, then you're pulled in. And ultimately, what will happen is that person out there that's, that's playing with you, it's not real, they're not all, you're not all that, and so what they're doing is they're pulling you in, and ultimately what they will ask for is money. I'd sure like to get with you, uh, but I'm not going to be able to afford that. Can you send me money for a plane ticket? And then someone sends them the money, and that game goes on and on and on, and that's how they lure you in. And some people will leave their husband or wife getting caught up in that kind of a scandal. It is a scam. It is not real. This person does not love you. But yet, they will say the things you need to hear, and you get pulled in by it. Well, we need to realize that there are people out there that are playing us for fools. And just because they're out there and telling us what we want to hear doesn't mean that we need to buy into that. We call pornography a pandemic because it is worldwide and it is rampant and it is available on impulse. Most folks who go to the porn sites do not always go primarily for the sexual pleasure. What they do often is they go to relieve stress. They've had a stressful day. They're angry at someone in their family. And I'm going to talk a lot about spouses today, but I apply that generally. And they will go out there because they're angry, because they're stressed, because they're bored, because they feel sorry for themselves. They're on their pity pot. And so they go out to the Internet, and here's what they can find. If they can surf through the different sites, the different pictures, ride the orgasmic high, then what they can do is they can release self-soothing chemicals in their body. And they can relax. Those self-soothing chemicals are such things as oxytocin, your adrenaline, your endorphins, and phenethylamine. And those have to do with your sexual drugs, and that's why pornography is in the addiction category, <coughs> is because people are self-soothing with their own body chemistry. 
Now in time, what happens is those chemicals that are released in the brain, that we begin to feed on that and to chase that high, that, orgas that pre-orgasmic high. And when I say pre-orgasmic, once the orgasm has happened, the event's kind of over. You kind of start losing interest. Um, but if you ride that high just before the orgasm, then, uh, then uh, uh, you get this feeling of uh, self-soothing, self-medicating, comfort, your troubles have gone away, and now we got our fix so we can get on with our day. And we may come back to it. Uh, one gentleman told me that, uh, that he was on the internet seven to eight times a day um, uh, doing self-stimulation. And I won't use the word for that, it starts with an M, but you know what that is. Um, and so, uh, so there are, there are, are uh, people who are highly addicted uh, to, the, to the internet. It is a secret sin in most cases. And the longer it is kept secret, the deeper the issue gets. And the compulsion that goes with that is to do this over and over and over. And the reason that is there is because the human body works on a supply and demand system. The more you demand that release, the more supply you get to be released. And so we're caught up in this cycle. I'll say more about that but I do need to move on with the PowerPoints. Where'd you learn about the facts of life? I'll tell you where people need to learn about the facts of life. They need to learn about it from godly people. But more often than not, where people learn about the facts of life, and I get answers like, well, in health class, that's not a bad answer. Uh, but, but I will also get, well, I learned it from some of the guys or some of the people in the shower room, or the girls were talking about it. Um, and... Uh, uh, or I learned about it uh, on the internet or somewhere out here as I was just checking into stuff. So I kind of stumbled across it. People are finding out about the facts of life and about the pornography that, that is out there as early as the second grade. And there are people, while they may not be able to actually perform um, physically, they're out there feeding an appetite that uh, at a very early age. There are websites that are deceitful. Uh, one of those is called White House. That's not White House, Tennessee. Um, but it's called White House. And it is a, it is a site that if a kid's out here doing a search and they do .org, they will get a porn site. Don't go there. But if they hit .gov, they can do their research paper for their class. It's as subtle as that. Those who set up these sites do it to trick people into clicking that and, and getting that in there. Once you've clicked a site, now you go into a bank where, where, where uh, those that are in the computer world will say, oh, they like this kind of stuff. Let's tell them about some more. And so you'll get this whole bunch of stuff comes through. And now the next thing you know is you've got a lot more options than just that one that you hit accidentally. It feeds itself. And with that comes more and more and more temptation. Let's move on. Where did you learn about the facts of life? Well, I want to tell you what. Most people learned the details of the facts of life not from God, but from the devil. The devil has done a masterful job of tutoring folks in our age on the facts of life that God said was good. Everything God made was good. But the devil has taken that and has become the tutor to lead people away from God. Let's look for a moment uh, at some Bible verses. What does God think about human sexuality? Well, we don't have to go very far to find out that in the Old Testament that there was the death penalty for abusing yourself sexually, either alone or with someone else. Let's look very quickly. We're not going to read the verses, but as I say, these PowerPoints uh, are yours, and I suggest you do get a copy of these. Um, but uh, the, fir the first one, incest. We have an increase in incest, and 
Unfortunately, some of these problems are in the church. I've, I deal exclusively with members of the church, and I have people come to me, and there's been incest in their home, either something that they, as an adult, had to tolerate or did tolerate in their home, and sometimes that is current, and I deal with people on that. That, by the way, is something that a person tells me that they've done that. That's something by law I have to report. Um, but it does go on. And I tell you what, if it goes on in the congregation, the congregation needs to know what the reporting laws are. If someone's telling you that a kid or someone's being sexually abused, incest in a family, you're obligated to report that as leaders and as people here at church and preachers and that sort of thing. I've seen too many churches that have tried to say, well, we'll deal with this because it's a spiritual issue. I tell you what, it's also a legal issue in, in addition to being a spiritual issue. Incest, that is, uh, having sexual relationship uh, with someone that is a close relative. Now, as we have more and more blended homes, we have more and more options and opportunity because we have non-blood people in the family. And uh, having sexual relationships with a sister or a stepsister or uh, some other kind of relationship um, that can be that can be pretty rampant. Even a stepmother with a stepchild, uh, or a stepchild with uh, uh, there's all kinds of combinations. But incest, all those will fall in that category. And God said in the Old Testament that those that did that were to be stoned to death. There wasn't therapy for that in the Old Testament. Adultery. You step outside of your marriage, chapters 19 through 20. Two of the book of Leviticus talk about the adultery laws. You do not cheat in your marriage. Your sexuality stays inside the bonds of marriage. Rape, uh, the penalty for that was death. Um, uh, unless this was out away from where people could hear you and the woman cries out but there's no one, no one to hear. And in that case, uh, in one of the cases there, you ended up having to marry your rapist. Uh, but the death penalty was there in most cases of rape. Whoredom, someone who played the part of a harlot or a whoremonger in the Old Testament. The penalty for them was death. We would say these would be the playboys of the Old Testament. And the penalty for that was you take them out. You, get, you cull them out of the group. This doesn't belong in the group. Cull them out. That was how severe God saw that. Bestiality which is a sexual relationship with an animal. The consequence was death for the person that did that, as well as death for the animal, because it is confusion, the Bible says. Sodomy, that is homosexuality, uh, was condemned in the book of Leviticus, and uh, there the penalty for that was death, not just for that alone, but for all these other things as well. Sometimes people who are homosexual in their orientation uh, we'll get offended that we would say things like that, but it's right there. Um, and then a non-virgin bride. Here's a, uh, here's a woman who has had a sexual relationship before she's married. And when you come to, the, come to the wedding bed and find that she is not a virgin, then you could bring her before the uh, tribunal, and if she's found guilty of having violated her sexuality, then the penalty for that was death. Now, if that were the law today, we wouldn't have very many people in the population, I'm afraid. Well, uh, the Bible very clearly, all of this fits under the category, thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you see how God thinks about this? Sometimes people say that's the God of the Old Testament. He was kind of harsh. Well, let's see if the God of the New Testament, which, by the way, is the same God, let's see what he has to say. In Matthew 5, in verse 27 through 30, he doesn't, he doesn't invoke the death penalty, but what he does say here is that thou shalt not look on a woman to lust after her. Uh, he said in the old law that, uh, that, uh, that uh, you don't commit adultery, you don't do the, the actual act. But under the new law, he says that you don't even uh, turn the lust on, you don't look at a person as a sexual object to lust after them. I'm going to say more about that verse uh, later on. Fornication is condemned in the Bible. And there we're told that the one that commits fornication has not only sinned against God, 
but they've sinned against their own body. Um, and uh, and uh, many verses there, uh, sinned against themselves as uh, uh, they've sinned against themselves. By the way, fornication, that's sex outside of marriage or pre-marriage, if you would, and what that does is robs your marriage partner of that beauty of awakening the sexuality in the marriage bed. Uh, and I've talked with several who have saved themselves from marriage only to marry somebody they hadn't, had not saved themselves. And that creates issues uh, in, in the marriage or can create issues. Adultery is condemned, as you well know. Uh, you don't cheat on your mate. And by the way, here's what that means. When people stand up and they do a marriage ceremony, they make a sacred covenant vow before God. God said, when you vow a vow before God, defer not to keep it, for he has no pleasure in fools. You pay what you vow. Well, question in a marriage thing is, what did you vow? And here's what you vowed, something like this. I promise to keep myself for you and for you alone until death shall sever the bond. However flowery that gets, that's what you promised. Now look at that. I promise to keep myself for you and for you alone. Who does that leave out? It leaves everybody else out. But it also leaves me out. Doesn't it? For you and you alone, I left myself out. And what that vow says is I surrender my sexuality to you and to you alone. Not to me to go out and play with myself. But I surrender this to you and to you alone. That's the covenant. That's the promise. A person that doesn't want to make that promise needs to take a close look at it before they, before they make that promise. Adultery uh, was con is condemned in, in the New Testament in many verses. Lasciviousness fits in with the sexual sins. And what that has to do with is any, any activity that is designed to feed and to entice lust, either directly or indirectly. It may be how we dress. It may be how we wiggle. It may be how we, even how we lean over and give people peekaboo shots. Um, it may be how tight our clothes are. By the way, you need some slack in your slacks. But, uh, but uh, lasciviousness is something that is condemned as a work of the flesh. Those that practice such will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. The child of God uh, is careful about their body. They respect their body. Why? Because it is the temple of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit that's in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You're bought with a price. When we commit ourselves to Jesus, we commit ourselves body, soul, and spirit to Him. And when we commit to another person in marriage, we commit ourselves to that person in an intimate relationship. I'll say more about that. Uh, the such like are also in there. In our day and time, we have people talk about baby mama, you know, and confusion uh, reigns in there where we've got several daddies, uh, but the same uh, with the same uh, the same mama. Um, but Hebrews chapter twelve and verse eight, there's an argument that doesn't make any sense if we don't understand what the word bastard means. An illegitimate child. In the Old Testament, an illegitimate child was not treated like, uh, like a, a natural-born child. Uh, there was a difference in how they were treated. Not that people were trying to be mean to them, but they were treated different. They were seen different. And in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, the writer there uses that phrase. There's a lot to be said on that. Uh, that natural-born children is the way God designed it. When we have one that's not natural born, I understand about adoption and fostering and all that, and I, I applaud that. But this word here means something in that context. Whoremongers. These are people that have their eyes full of adultery. They're out checking out the men uh, or checking out the women. Uh, they're looking for opportunity. Uh, and Peter tells us that they, people that have eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. That's a heavy verse, folks. That's in 2 Peter. They have eyes that are full of adultery. All they're looking for, they're seeing every person as a sexual object 
And the Bible says when you do that long enough, you cannot cease from that sin because it is so habitual that it has become natural. Does that mean you can't stop? No, it doesn't mean that. But it means that you have to do some really strong intervention to get that turned around. I'll talk if we have time about that. Uh, sodomy, again, homosexuality, is condemned in the book of Romans as well as other passages. Flee in fornication. And then possessing our vessel in honor. Now, in, uh, we'll look at that also in 1 Thessalonians 4. There it talks about that we are to, that we are to possess our vessel in honor. What is your vessel? He is talking there in a nice way about your sex organs, that which makes you a male or that which makes you a female. By the way, there's only two kinds. And he's talking about those, and you possess those in honor. You have respect and dignity for yourself. We don't go out showing our private parts to folks out here, anybody that wants to come along. Nobody gets a touch, nobody gets a free ticket to explore your body except the one that you will ultimately marry. That's God's law. That's what that verse is about. Well, what is the frequency? When I look at, uh, at, at people that go to pornography, what is the frequency of people that, uh, uh, that are married? And sometimes the issue in the, in the marriage, pornography is the result of another issue. When I ask Christians, how often are you sexual with one another? Notice I didn't say intimate. I'll say something about that in a minute. How often are you sexual with one another? And what I will get is some strange answers. I had one person that told me, oh, four times a year. That's once every three months. Okay, is that what you signed up for? Well, or someone says, well, never. You know, we haven't done that in years. Uh, and others will say, well, once every six months. Or one person told me, well, I, we do that on his birthday if he's been good that year. It's like, what? You know, sometimes it's hard for me to keep a straight face. But, uh, but that's what they said. Four times a day is what one person told me. And it's like, man, when do you have time for anything else? Uh, and then two to three times a week except during her menstrual cycle or period. And those are, questions, those are actual uh, quotes that I have gotten from people, uh, uh, from people out there. Now, I understand that sometimes there are physical limits to our sexuality. Sometimes we have some, uh, some physical things, maybe diabetes might be one, or some kind of uh, erectile dysfunction, uh, where, uh, or, or surgeries uh, for the man or the woman that make it very difficult, if not impossible, to have a sexual relationship. You still have a commitment, and there is, there is no excuse whatsoever for stepping outside of your marriage for, to experience sex. Um, but sometimes there are physical limits. That's the for better or worse. That's your covenant, remember? For better or for worse, in sickness and in health, until death shall separate us. Well, all right. I think we need to listen to what God says on this. We've looked at some verses. God puts us in the category of the works of the flesh. Homosexuality, he calls it without natu uh, natural affection. And then looking to lust. He doesn't condemn looking, but looking for the purpose of taking a snapshot so you can, uh, you can think about someone at, on a sexual level. And he says, whoever does that, uh, that they have actually in their own heart committed adultery. Eyes full of adultery, we looked at a moment ago. And then this passage in uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 and 13, that says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. Look at that word seducer. And look at that phrase, evil men. You see anybody evil lately? You know, I, I guess I kind of have to look real hard to see anybody out there that's evil. No, I don't. No, I don't. There are evil people all around us. Some of those people are hitting on us. Some of those people are trying to seduce us. And so while we don't want to be paranoid about that, we do need to be aware that uh, people that uh, people that are uh, out there, and it may even be us, that we fall into that category. But look at what happens: that where you start is not where you stop. They get worse 
and worse is what it says. Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then it talks about those that entice unsteadfast souls. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes uh, not to look upon a maiden. Patrick Carnes is a name in pornography and sexual addictions that you want to be aware of. We use some books of his, Out of the Shadows, Beyond the Shadows, uh, various books that Shadows is in, is in there. Facing the Shadows is one that I use as a workbook with, uh, when I work with people that are trying to overcome pornography. By the way, lest I run out of time, what I do want to say is that there are ways to overcome this. I'm talking about the problem right now. But the ways to overcome this is to get out of the secret. What we may try to, our secret world keeps us locked in. Our best thinking keeps us sick. And so it needs to come uh, out of the secret world to be confessed and acknowledged. And then we need to surround ourselves with a sponsor, with, a, uh, with an accountability partner, with, uh, with a fellowship of people that are going to work with us to get through this issue. And I'll tell you what, when folks start into pornography, usually at an early age, uh, they think, well, I'll do this till I get married and then it won't be a problem. And that's the devil's lie. Because after they get married, what they find out is self-soothing, satisfying yourself, has become a way of life and may be more pleasurable than the reality. And certainly we don't have to fight and have discussions about it. Well, and so they find out all too late that, uh, that they are caught in the devil's trap. Well, Patrick Carnes lists ten kinds of sexual addictions. I'm not going to go into all those uh, this, this, uh, this morning, but uh, uh, he lists all kinds of perversions out there. Uh, and you would be aware of many of those. All right. Well, uh, what is the criteria to look at if this thing has become obsessive in our life? Uh, viewing for longer periods of time than intended. These are addiction criterias. Uh, in other words, we sit and we serve and we lose track of time and space and, uh, and that becomes an issue. Uh, repeated unsuccessful attempts to cut down or to control this. Uh, irritability when we try to curb this. Now, I, I, uh, fact is, pornography is the number one requested topic uh, for me, both in counseling as well as in presentations like this, uh, and it is, we're recognizing quickly how big of an issue it is. Uh, again, uh, there are things can be done to address this. There, and I'm going to just jump to that right now, but there's a group called Essanon, uh, which is there for the betrayed partner. And I want to suggest to you that when you find out that your loved one has been involved in pornography or looking at stuff out there online or something's come, to off, come off the screen, the be betrayal is, the effect of the betrayal is as intense as if you had walked in on them in the actual sexual act, that betrayal. And... While we look at those caught looking at porn, we also need to be aware that there's a hurting maid out there somewhere. And it's not, it's not a matter of, okay, we caught them and it's gonna go away. They're hurting and they have a recovery process too. There's a group called Essanon, which is like Al-Anon, and it is for sexually uh, uh, women who are recovering from their sexual partner being unfaithful to them through, uh, through pornography. Um, and there's also a group out there called Sexaholics Anonymous, which is about those that have been out here on the internet or in real life cheating on their mate. And it just so happens that that group is not too far from you. It's within driving distance. The headquarters for that's in Brentwood. You know Brentwood, that's close? All right, and the headquarters uh, is there. And they have a book that they call the White Book. And it actually is the plan of how to deal with it. So they have a national convention in Nashville 
and also in Washington, D.C. And, uh, and you can go online and look up SA or SAA and you can find out about that. These are circles of people that are trying to do something about it. They're interested in fidelity in marriage. It's not just members of the church, but it is people from many walks of life that pornography has gotten a hold of them. Uh, we talked about uh, uh, Patrick Carnes. We could also talk about some places. Sometimes people are so caught up in, their, in this that they try to break it, and they try, and they try, and they just, they just don't get it. And there are long-term places. Uh, Pine Grove down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi is a place that Patrick Kern set up. I have sent some people there and they just could not get a hold on this. Um, uh, and also a place called Faithful and True. You'll find them at faithfulandtrue.com and they have all kinds of material there, uh, pretty religious uh, Bible verses and prayers that you can say on each of these uh, uh, steps in the process. There's plenty of help out there. If you have a problem with this, then you don't have to suffer alone. The organization I have, we have retreats two and three times a year, uh, and, uh, and we do individual counseling via Skype uh, and, uh, uh, or face-to-face, -face. and so there is opportunity uh, that is right there, right there uh, with us. All right, let me get, let me, there's opportunity to get some help. Let me uh, move on with this. I want to go to two primary verses, and I'm going to skip forward. As you notice, there are a number of, of PowerPoints that we're not going to look at. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, if you will look there, um, when Jesus says that whoever, by the way, let's look at this, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, if you look at that context, the con that verse I just cited is there in verse 27. But then we come down to a verse on divorce and remarriage just a few verses later. And that's about if you cheat on your mate that divorce is allowed in that case. It's like, okay, so we go from looking and lusting to a cheating mate and divorce. What's in between those verses? What's the context? I want you to listen close on this. Because in the context, you know what's in between those two, those two verses. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out. And if your hand offends you, cut it off. And I want to tell you what, that's in the sexual context. If I know what a context is between verse 27 and verse 32, that's a sexual context. Now, he's not telling you to sexually mutilate yourself. But what he is telling us is to go to any extreme. What do you use your eye for when you're lusting? You use your eye to take a picture. What do you use your hand for? We don't have to go very far to find out that's self-soothing. That's the M word. And if we can't control our hands and our eyes, what does God say about that? He didn't say, oh, well, that's just a natural thing. All boys do that. All girls do, or girls do that. He didn't say that. He says, if you can't control yourself, then you might be better without some of your body parts. Now, that's the extreme. Don't go do that. But he is using the extreme to illustrate the point that you go to any lengths, to any measures you need to, to avoid these kinds of things in that sexual context. Now, the next verse that we look at, um, and I know we're, how much more time? We're right on? All right, I wanna look at one more verse here. And that is in 1 Thessalonians, um, and it, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you possess your uh, vessel in honor, possessing your vessel in honor. What does that mean? He tells us um, that we are to act honorably. And then he tells you what you don't do. Not in the passion of lust, even as the Gentiles who don't know God. I've got that verse on here somewhere. There it is. Even as the Gentiles who know not God. You want to know what God's will is for you? This is the will of God. 
even that which sets you apart. What sets us apart? That you possess or you, you have control of your body in such a way that you are an honorable person. Your body is not for touching and feeling by other people. And then he says, here's what you don't do. Not, that's what you don't do. Not in the passion of lust, even as the Gentiles who do not know God, that no man transgress and wrong his brother in the matter. Look at this. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we forewarned you. And what that says is you don't possess your body or you don't, you don't use your body honorably, then what's going to happen is God's going to get you. That's what that says. Your sins will find you out. You will pay the price. You cross this boundary, you pay the price. That's what God says. All right, my time is up on this one, so I'll turn it over to Mitch. We have about 15 minutes, um, and then the bell's going to ring, the children are going to come up. You have in your pew some paper and pens. I also have some extra if you want questions to be asked of our brother um, so that you can have a private question. If not, you can raise your hand if you don't mind asking that loud. But does anyone want paper or pen to ask any questions? you have something here? That's a good question. I, and I do, I do agree with you. We've scooted this under the rug and act like sex is something dirty. Sex is not dirty. It's beautiful in its right, in its right area. And not only that, but uh, God has sanctified sex in that area. So here's what we do. We are so afraid that someone's going to learn about the facts of life or be sexual that a lot of times we don't talk about it. And it's in our silence that we are giving permission to go out and find out what you're missing. Uh, the Bible is, is, a, is a sex book. Not, not totally, not primarily. I was asked in one place to start in Genesis and go to Revelation and to talk about the subject of sexuality from the Bible. And the elders there told me, you think I talk long here. The elders there said, uh, Take your time, and we want you to cover every verse on human sexuality in the Bible. And do that in one lesson. And I have the record for having the longest lessons ever been preached there. And I was flying. You think I'm, I'm whatever you think now. I was flying through that. And what I realized from that experience is that God has said a whole lot of things about this. Why has he done that? And I'll tell you what I think, what I concluded. And that is that we have some basic drives. Men have three primary drives. To protect, to provide, and to procreate. Those are three drives that are built into a male. And that procreation is the one that gets us in trouble. Okay. Because that one has boundaries. Uh, well, the other ones do too. But, uh, but sometimes we deny our Humanity, we deny our sexuality, we deny that part that's been made uh, by God. My, my feeling on this is that instead of learning about this from the screen, the movie, the culture we live in, that families need to be talking about uh, just a natural, that, that sexuality is, is as natural as breathing. And we need to be talking about this and uh, in, and. Uh, you know, not in a vulgar way, but we need to quit letting the devil be our tutor. You know, and personally, I think many homes have <coughs> dropped the ball on this one. Um, it's not the function of the church to have sex classes, but it is a function of the home uh, to, as part of training our families and also getting our families ready for marriage. So many folks come in marriage counseling and say, you know, all of our church life, we heard, don't, 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 stay away from this, don't, 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 don't. And then we say, I do, and it's all, all of a sudden like we can, and the rules change. <laughs> well,
what you weren't supposed to do, now you do and you don't know much about it. And so we struggle in those first few years of marriage, especially in that sexual relationship because we don't equip ourselves. So I, that's a good question. I was in one place, brother, and I requested of the elders that I was preaching full time then and requested of the elders, uh, the young couples that are here are having all kinds of issues and questions and can we have a marriage class for that deals with uh, intimacy in marriage? And they said yes. And so I ran the agenda by them. They approved it. And we told people before you got in there, we're going to be talking about some very serious things. People have questions. Questions like, well, is it okay to have sex during that time of the month? Now, the Old Testament has a verse on that. And, uh, and uh, you know, what decisions are... We go into marriage unequipped to deal with that. Unequipped to answer these questions. Okay, another question over here. Yes, sir. So I realize there's different ways of approaching speech of what you're saying, but since you mentioned there was a second grader that's seven years old, how early are we supposed to start? Or should you suggest that we start doing this? Because I'm clearly past that from did I believe it's a graduated process. When someone is, when someone's pregnant, you know, where do babies come from? Okay, we give some answers to that we don't blow that off or just you know uh, tell them the stork brought them. What we do is we give them a factual answer. Do we tell them all the details of life at that age? No, but it's a gradual process. It is not a the talk. It is a gradual process to where. We, our kids are not repelled by sex because they sense that the parents are sensitive about it. I think that's part of the reason we don't have those conversations. But uh, it's a gradual process. All right, other questions? Any other questions? Anar, do you have any time this afternoon that is open for anyone that would like to speak to you? Yes. Okay. Now there's one question I'm surprised I didn't get. And that's on the word pornea. Do I dare open that up? We have a problem in the church. And it's splitting some congregations. On the word pornea. Which is whoever looks on a woman to lust after has committed adultery. That word pornea. And some of our brothers and sisters are saying that if you're looking at porn, I have the right to divorce you and remarry. And what they're doing is they're going to that word, adultery, and they're asking, does it have to be the actual physical act? Or, since Jesus puts some of that in the mental category, uh, what do we do with that? Some congregations have withdrawn from people that have said, I, he doesn't stop. He's on this, he's out there, we've had this over and over, he doesn't stop, I'm done. And so they divorce their mate and the congregation says, you can't do that, and they withdraw fellowship from that, from that lady. All right? Then there's other congregations that will say, well, yeah, you do. And so the question it calls for us to be very serious Bible students on this. And the question is, is this grounds for divorce and remarriage? That's a heavy thing. Usually people will ask me, well, what do you think about it? And I'll tell you what I think about it. I don't know what to think about it. That's what I think about it. I would not be ready personally to go to the judgment day and say because my mate looked at pornography and was manipulating themselves thinking about somebody else that therefore I'm okay and I'm justified. But what I would, uh, while I wouldn't, I'm, I'm not ready to go to the judgment day. I think that's one of those gray issue areas that I know personally I'm undecided. So here's what I know. Whatever is not a faith is sin. For me that would be sinful. I could not do that. But there may be some out there that in good conscience can do that. 
And I'll tell you how sometimes this works out. That often they're not just looking at pornography. They're out here setting up dates and rendezvous and, and uh, uh, trading sexting pictures and rubbing their genitals against their cell phones while they orgasm together. And it's like, how much closer can you get to actual physical contact? I mean, we're talking perverted stuff. And how close can you get without crossing that line? So where I end up with it is a person needs to be fully assured in their own mind that they're okay with that and be ready for the judgment day um, to answer to the Lord. If it's good, it's good. If it's not good, um, you got you got some accountability there. What you suggest to be when you do have brethren within the congregation that are on both sides of this issue and how that can be handled as a congregation? We've had such things in our brotherhood. And what I've suggested to, to other other church groups is that if, if it's something we cannot draw a solid conclusion on, then what we do is we say, we're going to leave that to the Lord for judgment. And that's kind of where I leave it in my personal life, and that's where I leave it in church life too. However, I do believe, and this will take us another area, I do believe that the elders have the God-given right to set policy for a congregation. Otherwise, obey them that have the rule over you doesn't really mean anything if that's just about what God's already said. It's about policy in a congregation and to say, no, we, this is not okay here. Definitely not more of a church splitting over the issue. No, I don't recommend a church splits over this issue, no. Any other uh, questions? Other questions. Is because we don't want to talk about sex or because we know everything about sex? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if we're done, then...